Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. This is the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw... Oh, I lost my place. Uh, okay. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure, treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben, very much. I'll be needing those for reasons that will become apparent. Uh, well, good morning, just from Johnny. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, it's, uh, it's good to sort of meet you. Uh, I lead the church with Amy, who you've already met, and uh, we've been here doing this for seven and a something years. Um, it's a special Sunday today in some ways, in many ways, although it's also a really sad Sunday in that this is the last Sunday that we'll have Joanne with us. Um, and I have, I've already cried my way through the entirety of a sermon. So I, I feel like I've got most of it out, if I'm honest. I'm not expecting to just break down, as I did on a series of occasions through the nine o'clock. And I'm glad that wasn't recorded. Um, this, is, this is being recorded and I think probably being live streamed. Welcome on, welcome on the live stream if you are watching us, watching with us. Um, but uh, what I want to do is speak for about 15 minutes uh, about what we've just had read to us. And uh, I think what I want to share is going to lead into a, just a moment where we can hear from Joanne and pray with Joanne and pray for Joanne. And I think the way that she's lived among us, I know some of you won't know who Joanne is, but you'll find out soon enough. Um, 
the way she's lived among us is, is a real, uh, like a living testimony of what I really want to share. And today, so I want to speak about the power of an unqualified yes. So should we pray? Father, I just want to thank you for your presence with us. Through these, through these last eight or so years, God, you've been so close to us in, in so many different ways. You've, you've shown us, as a church family, your presence, particularly time after time you've shown us your presence as we've praised you, as we've worshipped you. I sense that this morning. Again, and I, I give thanks for that. God, it's those moments that make living possible. I live for those times in your presence with other people. So I thank you for that. I just thank you for every person in this room. I know that just as you've been faithful to, to Trinity Church, you've been faithful to every person in this room through every high and low in their lives. God, I am longing to see a people prepared who are worthy of you. A people who, who learn not to say yes, but. But yes, unqualified yes to everything that you are. We can only do that by your grace. None of us is disciplined enough. <laughs> Wholehearted enough to get there on our own. You'll have to draw us. And I thank you that you will draw us and you have drawn us with your love. Lord, release the gift of your love across this room as I speak. Holy Spirit, we give you permission as if you needed it. We give you permission to speak and to draw people through Jesus Christ to their Father. Amen. Well, we're obviously in a, a season of, of Willy Wonka quotes because uh, I'm afraid to say I'm beginning this service, this sermon with another one. This one not drawn from Wonka, the recent prequel, which I did begin the sermon with last week uh, for those that were here. This one actually drawn from the book, Roald Dahl's original book, which one of our daughters is listening to in an attempt or our attempt to get her to sleep. I think that's probably fair to say. Now, if you were here yesterday at the Orchard Local, Local in inverted commas, because I think we had women from wider than the local area. In fact, we had women uh, kind of queuing around the corner to get in the room. And apparently, a great morning was had by all. I've been asked to say that. <laughs> by the boss. So there we go. Um, yeah, Amy shared this quote at the, at the Orchard Local yesterday. But the context of this, for those who maybe aren't so up, to date with Roald Dahl's work, and particularly Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I would say it was kind of a, an essential book to have read. And if you haven't, I do encourage you to read it or to listen to the audio, but when you're going to sleep, perhaps. Uh, anyway, Charlie's grandpa is one of the key figures, Charlie being the central uh, figure, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. 
It's about Charlie. But his, his grandfather is this source of encouragement in the story, throughout the story. His grandfather, if you remember, is the one who first encourages him to go and buy uh, a chocolate bar and to try and get the golden ticket. The golden ticket being the, the instrument of access, if you like, into Charlie's great future, which will be running Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Of course, none of this is known to Charlie at the beginning of the story, but his grandfather encourages him to go and buy a, buy a chocolate bar. And of course, Charlie can't afford chocolate bars. He comes from abject poverty, but providentially, his grandfather really gives up everything that he has in order that Charlie can go and do this. And in the end, he gets the last available golden ticket. I think there were five. Forgive me if I'm wrong. It has been a couple of years since I listened to the story and read the story myself, but I think he gets the last of five. And on the strength of that, goes to Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And there are really a series of encounters with Wonka, a series of kind of challenges, although nobody in the story knows that they are challenges at the time. The story really goes that they, or these children are being auditioned. They don't know they're being auditioned, but they're being auditioned to see who will be the one found worthy of taking over Wonka's business. You see, he wants to pass on, and he doesn't have children of his own. And there is a point at which Charlie's grandfather is standing before Wonka, and he asks him this question, why little Charlie? Wonka says this, there are thousands of clever men that would give anything for the chance to take over from me, but I don't want that sort of person. I don't want a grown-up person at all. A grown-up won't listen to me. He won't learn. He'll try and do things his own way and not mine. So I have to have a child. A good, sensible, loving child. One to whom I can tell all my precious, sweet-making secrets. Now, I don't want to push this metaphor too far because... I'm in danger of making all of you think that Wonka is an image here for the Father in heaven, and I know that's going to really inhibit your prayer lives. But there is a significant truth here. This is something, there's an insight here, I think, in, in terms of, in the sense of how the kingdom of God works. And I would say there is an insight here into how the Father, how the Father seeks out people who he intends to use in his kingdom. You know, the, the story of Scripture is a story really of God using people again and again who really have no business being used by God. You know, he just seeks out. At times, it's like he's going out of his way to find people who are not fully competent. It seems like he's going out of his way to find people who don't have their stuff together. It seems like he's looking to operate through people whose pasts are murky. I always read, when reading through the Bible, maybe in a year, I always get to Exodus chapters 1, 2, and 3 and think, oh, God, thank you. If you can use a man called Moses, who's in his past there was murder, you can use me. There is no one who you can't use, and it's an extraordinary thing. We see it again and again through Scripture. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. God is not looking for perfection. Do you know this? God does not need your past to be perfect to use you. In fact, at times, 
If you're carrying a sense that your past is perfect, that will be an obstacle to God using you. Because there is a name for that approach to the world in the Bible, and it's called pride. And that is an obstacle with God. Again and again in Scripture, it says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humility as a posture and attitude is one that is like a superpower with God. It attracts, it attracts the gaze of the Father. When God sees humility, he's drawn toward it. He whispers his plans to his children. He isn't looking for perfection. Skill? Well, there, I would say this when it comes to skill, not, not least because we talked about Bezalel and Aholiab last week, and they have profound skill, and God uses that skill. But here's the thing about skill. There is a lot that you can learn on the way. And the real skill which is, by the way, here's one for free, it's not in the notes. The real skill in life is wisdom. And wisdom is skill in living. Now, when we think of, of knowledge, there are really, there's really two kinds of knowledge. There's knowledge about things, data and facts. We're obsessed with that kind of knowledge. But there's also knowledge of how to live. That's wisdom. And that comes through a journey with God. It's the only way to access it. That's the skill that really counts. And that's the kind of skill we get on the road. And so God loves to look at simple and humble hearts and upskill them. That's the way the kingdom seems to work. What he wants then is an open and willing heart. Now we are in a season, not just as this church, but as the whole church, although many of us, many of our churches maybe don't, don't think it like this or talk about it, called Epiphany. And the word epiphany is a word that means literally appearance or manifestation. And it's to do with the appearance or manifestation of God in Jesus. And so it's natural, of course, that we would celebrate this after Christmas. The appearance of God in the earth. And the stunning thing is that when God appears in, on the earth, he appears like a child. He appears in vulnerability. He appears as one who has things to learn. Get your head around that. God shows up as one who has things to learn. Jesus had to learn to walk. The God who spoke the heavens into, into an existence had to be potty trained. I mean, it's mind-blowing. He had to learn obedience to the Father. And that obedience was severely tested. You know, this is the way that human life operates. And we know that because when God, the divine life, takes up human life, he comes amongst us as a child and one who learns. What an appearing. What an epiphany. This Jesus, this God in flesh... Has. And one of the moments that marks Epiphany, one of the emphases in Epiphany for the church is this emphasis on the coming of the Magi, these wise men as they're known in nativities. Now these wise men, these Magi, were astrologers who would advise kings in eastern states. They had a whole series of sophisticated sort of planetary astronomical observations and they would use these to ground their insights and they'd share these wise insights with kings and on the basis of these insights kings would make decisions 
They would steward the nations over which they were governing. So these were people with very significant learning, very significant power in these kind of ancient uh, Eastern environments. And at some point, we pick up the story with these particular magi who were over in modern-day Iraq, and they see a star, and on the basis of this star, they begin to reorganize their entire lives, and they take what's probably a four- to five-month journey over to Jerusalem. Now, why do they go to Jerusalem? Well, they know that the vague direction of this king is over in that way, and they go to where you would naturally go if you were looking for a king, which is to say the capital of that place. The place where power has been accumulating for generations, that's where they go because that's the, that's the way that they've learned. And of course, they get there and they encounter Herod and they find that no child of the king has been born. And so they approach the scholars and they say, well, where is this king, the king of Israel, going to be born? And they dig up an Old Testament prophecy, it says in Bethlehem place where King David had been born generations before. And they go there, and of course, uh, they find the king, they find Jesus, they lay their gifts before him. These men, this really is the, the, the center, the nub of the sermon today, these men are actually quite remarkable. They're not necessarily the kind of people we would expect to, to fit in with Wonka's description given to Charlie's grandfather. You know, these are actually, they don't appear to be children. Well, they're not children, they're adults. Not only the adults, but they're people who have significant learning and skill. They're people who have, uh, have accumulated significant power, as I've said, in their lives. And yet what we find is they behave, they have this child-likeness. They've got this posture. Uh, one, one person who I read years ago talked about beginner's mind. It's a great phrase. I love that phrase. Beginner's mind. You know, they don't come with that sense of the world's all boxed up and closed in and I know everything I need to know. They have this kind of malleability, this uh, softness. They can be reshaped. And they are reshaped. And I think they show us something essential about the Christian life. The life of following Jesus. Firstly, they, they show us that being a Christian, being a Jesus follower, being a disciple of Jesus, someone who's learning. That's the first thing, isn't it? The word disciple means learner. You know, it's so interesting. I've made this observation again and again, but I'm gonna, I've got a bit more time in this second service. I'm going to bore you with this one now. Are you ready? You know, people come through something like Alpha. And they experienced it. I know this because I did Alpha. And I experienced this. And I remember this is kind of 2005, 2000 and 2006. And I came through Alpha. Now I've grown up in the church, but I came through Alpha. And what I found was a, a community of people where any question was welcome. It's a question in which it was an environment of learning. It was open and humble and you know, honestly, at times the atmosphere is electric and you would go through the evening and you would, li you would listen, you truly listen to people in your group. And people had such different experiences. Nobody was the expert. And in the context of that group, you would go on a journey. And honestly, the, the weirdest thing was you didn't even know the people at the beginning and at the end you were 
hugging and crying. And you know, I've been working with the folks in my office for years, and I don't know that lot as well as I know this this lot. And I've been with these this lot for about six weeks. How's this happening? It's just an environment of openness. And then often people leave something like Alpha. I've got a course beginning. End of this month, go and speak to Luke Meadows. Put your hand up, Luke. There's your man. People leave Alpha, they come into the church, and it's, it's like they look around them and think, boy, Alpha, you can be a beginner. I think here you've got to be an expert. And it's like so often in the church, we, we, we think that we have to have it together. We think we have to know everything. And we lay that sort of attitude of openness and humility at the door. Now, I don't think that's actually something that's the case in this environment, but it's a temptation for us, isn't it? It's a temptation to seek to be something in order to impress people. And the Lord does not require that of us. There is a humility that we can, we can, you know, we can relax into. We can rest into it. Dallas Willard, this comes to mind. Dallas Willard would ask, he's a, a great thinker, somebody who's really articulated the depth and the mystery of Christian faith and how to live out the Christian faith in the last generation. He probably died in the last 10 years or so. And he was asked, if you could say one thing, one word that summed up what Jesus was like, like, what would it be? And Dallas Willard said this. Relaxed. Isn't that interesting? Relaxed. Why would that be the case? Because Jesus had nothing to prove. And I think these, these, these magi, they show us something of that humility, that willingness to be interrupted. They're interrupted as they encounter Herod. And they understand through a dream that they're to do something entirely opposite than what they had planned. They orient their entire life around the appearing of Jesus. But we also see the the definition of a a Christian life, which is that it is a pilgrimage. It is a journey. And they go on this journey remaining open-hearted, remaining malleable, as I said, remaining supple and flexible. Psalm 84 said, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And these magi, their hearts are set on pilgrimage. Yes, they're skilled. But they show that the key qualification for journeying with Jesus is not actually prior skill. He will upskill you, as I've said. It isn't having a perfect past, but there is something here about having a present willingness. And that is my message today. I want to tell you very simply this morning that there is such a power in an unqualified yes. You know, Jesus encounters every one of us. And he doesn't say, he doesn't say, what have you got in the locker? You know, sometimes his choice of people seems so strategic, but I think one of the things that we ought to continue to seek after is the openness and willingness to continually say yes to him. There is such power, not in a yes, but. Lord, yes, but. Please don't ask me to go to that person. Lord, yes, but please don't ask me to forgive my enemies or my parents. Yes, 
But I do require 60 grand or more a year. You laugh. Yes, but, yes, but, there is such power in yes, 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 but yes. And again and again, around the birth of Jesus, we see this. We see this with Elizabeth. We see this with John the Baptist. We see this with Mary. And we see this with Jesus. And we see this with the Magi. And we have seen this in the last eight years with Joanne. Now, I'm going to share a bit of the story, because I think I can probably do so without uh, collapsing. I'm doing quite well, I think. If you came for tears, I'm sorry. I've cr- <laughs> <laughs> Seems that they've gone. <laughs> oh... So uh, many, many of you know Joanne. In fact, I see a few faces who have come, especially for Joanne this morning. Uh, perhaps folks have been with us and, and moved on. Uh, but we, we planted this church sort of, as I said, seven or eight years ago. Depends when you start counting. And uh, Amy and I, would, we actually found out we were going to lead the church quite late. We weren't supposed to be leading the church. That was a bit of an accident in and of itself. And we actually agreed to come and support another couple who we felt would have been far better. Well, we didn't feel it. We knew it. They'd be far better qualified to do it than we were. And, um, but God had other ideas, which is kind of illustrative of what I've been trying to say to you this morning. Uh, the only problem we had, one of the many problems we had, is that nobody in the church that we were being sent from actually knew who we were. And that made it quite difficult to gather a team. <laughs> Um, but we had some people who were willing uh, to join with us. They were all 10 years younger than us, and we were all pretty green. I think it's fair to say that. And uh, one of the people was Joanne. Now, I, one of the things we were told is that if you want to plant a church, the first thing, you've really got to have a worship pastor. So I went, I did the rounds, and I went looking for all the skillful worship leaders. There were quite a lot at the church uh, that we were leaving, who I'd had any kind of positive conversation with. And I started to ask them. And I wrote a list, and I sort of went down, crossing them off, <laughs> one after the other. And they all, they all well, they knew what they were doing. They, they all rejected us very, very graciously. But you see, God had other ideas. God knew exactly what we needed. And uh, at one point, we were having a, a prayer meeting, one of about only about two or three that we had, because like I said, we found out we were leading this really, really late, a couple of months before we moved. And um, we had a prayer meeting in our front room in Battersea, didn't we? And somebody, one of the people who had already said yes, an intern who was going to come and join us, had met Joanne at a coffee shop and just struck up a friendship, so happened just to invite Joanne along to our house. Now, we heard through this friend that she had a guitar. So we said, get her to bring it. <laughs> and on that evening, I think we heard her play a couple of chords and, and sing a melody, which is quite, it was quite obvious what we were doing. And Joanne, you know, was very gracious to do that. But we didn't really know. We'd never seen a lead worship or anything like that. Fast forward a few different months later. We're here in, in Nottingham. We're in our front room. I can shut my eyes and see it. There it is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got what you wanted. 
I can see it. And I'm over here, back corner of the room, where you find me in most social gatherings. <laughs> and over there by the door, that's where Joanne is. She's standing with a guitar. And Will, our curate, as we began, is there. And I think Amy's just next to me. And Joanne just begins to strike up a chord and starts to sing. And I, I know the first person I looked at was Will. And, and we just looked at each other and smiled. And the reason was, is because as soon as she started playing, I knew it was going to be okay. Because we had a worship leader who opened up the space for God to fill. And as long as Joanne's been here, as long as she's been worshiping, she's created room for the spirit. She's, she's, she's built a culture of the presence of God in our church. We've, Amy, that's a core conviction of Amy and I. But if we hadn't had Joanne, we may not have been able to build that. So this morning we're going to pray for her. We're going to hear from her. But actually, firstly, what we want to do is honor her. You know, we don't get to do this for absolutely everyone who leaves. But there are certain people who have been really, really centrally involved in building this house. And Joanne is one of them. So would you welcome Joanne? This, um, this, this round of applause is just the warm-up because we're going to do a proper, proper one. So sit down, keep your powder dry. We're going to go again. And just as you look on the screen, we've got a few pictures, some of those early days, Duncan on the drums. And um, this, is, this is when we started off downstairs in what is now the kids' space. It's probably one of our first Sundays. This is developing. Anyway, I'm not going to commentate. Take a look. Uh, Again, to some of you remember this, some of you just arrived, it means nothing, that's all right. As you can see, it has just been a wild adventure, hasn't it? <laughs> um, and I, you know, 
there are so many things to say. Um, and I was just sat there. Oh, Johnny didn't, I didn't cry last time. Uh, but, you know, there isn't really anything to say except for we just love you. <laughs> we do. We just absolutely adore you. We've seen Joanne grow um, so much. Um, and, you know, I don't know what you feel, but I feel like, a, you know, a big sister or older mum or whatever. But, uh, you know, you've had, and Johnny can testify, you've had such a massive place in my heart. And we love you and we are utterly cheering you on. And we know this is uh, an amazing next step for you. Uh, but as I was thinking about, how, you know, one word, I think, to describe Joanne, and I think, um, you know, <laughs> I think everyone would say this, is generous. Um, you know, she's generous with her time and her treasure. Um, her time, she would literally drop anything to have a coffee. I think you've probably had a coffee with thousands of people, haven't you? You can't, you know, you can't say no. You know, you have, um, you know, you have so much time, interruptible, all that stuff. But equally, I have never met anyone <laughs> where you can literally say, oh, I love your jumper, and then it's on your seat. And she's like, you take it. You know, it's like the generosity just oozes. You share your home, you've shared your car, you share your clothes, you share your stuff, you constantly buy gifts. It's like, take it, take it, take it. And it's like you embody generosity. Um, and I have been on the receiving end, and so have we. Um, so... Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing in the next... Where are you going? What are you going to be doing in, in a couple of weeks? Okay. Well, Johnny cried the first service. Amy cried now. <laughs> and maybe the third service. <laughs> It'll be your turn. <laughs> It'll be my turn. Um, but yeah, I am moving to sunny Scotland. Back to Scotland. Um, I'm moving to Edinburgh. And I'm going to be working for a church in Edinburgh called St. Paul's and St. George's, um, which is right in the heart of Edinburgh. Um, it's a beautiful church. Um, I'm going to be heading up the worship. Uh, but yeah, wow. I mean, can I just also just take this moment to say thank you to Johnny and Amy and to you guys as a church. Um, this church is a really significant place. Um, and you have Johnny and Amy, who are the most incredible leaders. I said to someone the other day, I came here with, in, in a relationship with God. Um, you know, it was, it was nice, but it wasn't like significant. And I'm leaving here feeling more in love with him. And I've experienced his goodness here and... I know that this church is gonna thrive. I even was just thinking about the amount of walls that we've kind of taken down. Um, downstairs, we pushed right through, so we've got an extra kids space. Then up here, there used to be a wall just there, and we pushed that down, and I was just thinking, wonder when, <laughs> when I next come, how many more walls will be pushed down, just so that more and more people can come. and. Um, hear and know the goodness of God in this place. Um, so, yeah, I'm super grateful that I've been able to be a part of that. I, I would say there's something in that, though. I think, Joanne, if you, 
if there was one song that describes your heart, it's goodness of God. That is something that you have modeled among us. And I felt there was a time in the life of our church really early on where that truth was contested. And one of the key ways that we broke through that was you singing over us and singing that song. And I think that's a song that you, that's the song of your life. I really believe that. And I know that you, um, you know, you experienced real difficulty early on in your life with the loss of your father, Ian. And um, you have pushed through so many walls to become the woman that you are today. We are so proud of you. you. We are so proud of you. And it is, it is hard to give your best away, isn't it? But this is what we do. This is what we do. And for as long as we're a church here, this is what we must do. We're always going to do this. And so I just want to, it's just a thank you. It's a massive thank you to you for who you are, for who you've been among us, for the way that you've lived out what it means to be a follower of Jesus uh, and being that for us. So thank you, Joanne. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to... Get twitchy with the button. Uh, we're going to pray over Joanne. But before we do, um, here at Trinity, we've done it before, but certainly when we are cheering our staff on, we join heaven and cheer um, and clap and take a while because it's good for Joanne to, we can embody what heaven is cheering Joanne on, how she, they are cheering Joanne on. So why don't we join heaven, stand up and let's cheer Joanne. Can I just can I just say that that is one of the best things that Trinity does? Is <laughs> like because I feel like I came here and um, I, I had my first birthday and we all went around this room and every single person just said an encouragement to me and um, honestly that that is the the most beautiful thing about this place is that you guys encourage one another and build each other up. So thank you, I feel that. If you'd like to gather around, Joanne, why don't you go down there? If you'd like to gather around to pray for Joanne, well, let's stay standing if we're able. Um, but just just do, just come, come to the front. And uh, we'll spend a few moments just blessing her. We don't have time for everyone to pray, but certainly time for some to pray. Just put your hand up if you want the microphone, if you've got a word or a prayer. 